What do you think life will be like when Jesus returns and we're with him forever? Or what do you think life is like now for people who have already gone to heaven? I remember thinking about this as a kid when I was about nine years old and my grandfather had passed away and everyone was saying he is in a better place now and he's going to be much more uh, joyful and, and, and things are better for him. So I started to think about heaven and uh, what it might be like. And the only picture that I had of heaven was from a Bible picture book that we had and the images that they drew of heaven were of a city in the distance with these gleaming rays coming out and I think God in a golden throne and there were lots of clouds and lights and shining and and those images may appeal to older people but at nine years old that was not a very attractive picture for me so I decided I would talk to my mom about it and I asked her mom do you think we'll be able to swim in heaven? And uh, she reassured me that you could probably do some swimming at some point in heaven. So that was good enough for me. I thought, okay, probably you got to do the church thing in the morning, whatever that is. And then if we get to go swimming in the afternoon, I'm good. I'm good. So that was heaven through a nine-year-old's eyes. But what do you think heaven is like? And what do you think our lives will involve after Christ returns and we join him together on the new earth? I think most of us probably have an initially positive view of this next life. Maybe we think it's kind of like an all-inclusive vacation where we go there and we enjoy freedom from our ordinary earthly troubles and we will get rested and refreshed and we'll get to spend lots of time with people and have fun with them but but what happens when we get all rested up what will we do and remember our discussion last fall on preparing to finish well and the culture's idea that retirement is all about 25 years of leisure and pleasure. And remember, remember how we learned that that's really bad for you if you don't do anything? It usually leads to people dying quite quickly or living lives of despair. Yet, is that what heaven's going to be like? We, we get there, we get rest, rested up and renewed, we just sit around and don't do anything and eventually get bored? And then there's another problem with thinking about heaven, and that is, eventually, we have to start thinking about the real world again. We've spent this time thinking about heaven, but then we have to face our lives again. We have to pay bills and do our jobs. We have to deal with those relationships. We have to parent our kids. We have to try to keep going while we look for purpose in life. So it's almost like we just take a mental holiday, but then we have to face reality again and what good is that but what if we could think about life with Christ in the coming ages and it could make a huge difference in our lives today what if thinking about the next life can bring us joy hope and strength for today what if pondering our future with Christ gives us power and purpose for our lives today and that's what I hope will happen for us today 
in the final message of the series, Jesus' Heart for Us. And hopefully through this series, we have gained a deeper understanding of Christ's heart for us. But I pray that you did not only learn something about Jesus' heart, I hope you will use this knowledge to draw near to Jesus and go much deeper in your relationship with him. And remember that we have seen that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. And when we come to him, we will find rest for our souls. We have seen that Jesus is compassionate for those who are harassed and helpless. We have seen that Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses and has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. We have seen that Jesus deals gently with the ignorant and wayward. He perseveres in love for whoever comes to him. He befriends the worst of sinners, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Remember that one? He does not afflict from the heart. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is rich in mercy. He loved us and gave himself for us. And last week we saw that Jesus loved us to the end, to the furthest extremity of love. And today we're going to look at God's continuing love for us through the coming ages. And we aim to do that through three sections or three pieces today. First of all, we're going to ask, what does God's love look like or what will it look like in the coming ages for us? And then second, we're going to ask a couple of questions about this life in the coming ages with God. Will it really be that good? Won't it be boring? And perhaps most seriously, if life is so great there, why not go there now? And then lastly, we look at one way that we can apply this to our lives. And so the text where we're going to find all this is one we did a few weeks ago, the same text, but a different focus on it. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 7. That's the rich in mercy text. So if you want to take your Bibles and find that there, or your phones, Ephesians 2, 1 to 7. It's on page 829 in the Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 7 again, but our focus text is entirely on verse 7. So Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So last time we were in this text we looked at life from the perspective of a spiritual zombie. The walking dead. Remember in verse 1 we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we walked following the course of the world following the prince of the power of the air or the devil 
and we lived according to the passions of our flesh. And then we saw in verse 4 the tremendous turn of this text with the two words, but God, being rich in mercy. And then he did all these things for us in verses 5 and 6. He made us alive together in Christ. He saved us by grace. He raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. But then comes verse 7. And it answers the question, why did God do all of this? Why? Because we know it's the answer with the phrase, so that, at the beginning of verse 7. In order that. And in one sense, if someone were to ask you, why did God save you? Ephesians 2, 7 is the answer. It tells you what God is going to do, why he did it. And here we discover what God's love is going to look like in the coming ages. And I have listed for you there, if you have the bulletin on the back page, each phrase of verse 7. Because each phrase contains a little piece of what God's love will look like and what life will be like in God's presence on the new earth. So why are we saved, redeemed, raised up, made alive? So that in the coming ages, not just an age, the coming ages. That means forever, forever in the coming ages, we will be with God. And this can help us struggle when we, or help us when we're struggling with purpose in life. Or we're struggling to understand, God, what purpose do you have for this thing that I'm going through right now? And so many of the purposes of God are not revealed during our lifetime. Yet if we look during our lifetime to understand and grab everything that's going on, and we want God to explain everything to us, it's not going to happen. But in eternity... We will see God's purposes and his wisdom unfold over and over again. And we will need the coming ages. We will need forever because God's riches are immeasurable according to this verse. Immeasurable. And we finite creatures cannot take in all that God has for us in a 30-minute PowerPoint presentation by God. If it's immeasurable, it's going to take eternity to measure out the riches of God. And the next phrase reveals God's activity in the coming ages. Verse 7 again says, So that in the coming ages, he might show. So God has something to show us. Imagine something that you have always wanted to see that you haven't seen yet. Maybe it's uh, the Grand Canyon, maybe the Eiffel Tower, maybe the pyramids in Egypt, maybe some other place. And by God's grace, you get to go near this place and then the day comes when someone is going to show you that place. Well, that place, you're not going to have trouble getting up that day because you're going to be so excited to actually see this, that you have waited for someone to show you. Well, when it comes to eternity, every day we will have something new to discover because God is going to show us another piece of the immeasurable riches of his grace. They will never run out. 
We need the coming ages to see them all. It's kind of like going to a museum and say a really incredible museum. I'm told the British Museum in London has something like two or three million pieces to look at. Of course, no one's going to see all the pieces, but imagine that's like the treasures of God, the riches of God. And imagine that you have all the time in the world to examine every piece in the British Museum completely and fully so that you grasp its significance. That's kind of the picture that is drawn here of the immeasurable riches that God has to show us. And notice as well, these riches are not jewels. These are riches of his grace. What he has done, how he has shown us grace. And I think there's two sides to this. The one side is, That when we're in the presence of the Lord and we're enjoying life with him, God will be gracious about his grace. We won't have to worry about being scolded every time we see one of the riches of God. You know, you can look at this thing over here and it's by grace, but remember, you don't deserve to be here. Just keep that in mind. No, not not a scolding by God. A joy as he shows us the immeasurable riches of God. And the other side of this is that we will never get complacent about this grace. If every day is a new day to enjoy another richness of God's grace, we will always be reminded, oh, we we depend on that grace. We're only here because of that grace. We're we're never going to get to the point, say, two million years from now where we think, oh, you know, I earned it to get here. I, I forgot. Why am I here? No, every day, another piece of the immeasurable riches of of God's grace. And I I wonder if there will be times where we we sit down, where Jesus takes us, he sits sits us down and he says, you know, remember that that time in your life? I I showed you grace there. Oh, when when you were driving there, I I turned the light red to protect you from getting in that that accident. Oh, I ensured that you found that person over there who, who could help you. I ensured that I drew your attention to those resources over there that that really made a difference. I protected your child when they were out at night and you couldn't watch them. I I, uh, ensured those germs that were all around you at that time didn't didn't take hold in in your body. That's where I made the gospel clear to you. And we're going to have an eternity to discover God's immeasurable riches of grace. Yet the immeasurable riches of his grace will also be displayed in kindness. It will be beneficial for us. It will be gentle and sweet and pleasant and good. This is not just some general blessing either. It's not like the Lord is going to go through the new earth or go through the streets of Jerusalem and he's of the new Jerusalem and just throw, you know, a general riches to the crowd. And we get to, you know, appreciate all oh, the candy that fell at our feet. Oh, well, God is, God is showing us some sort of riches here. No, it is, it's going to be personal. It's going to be towards us. Notice that phrase, towards us. It'll be like like a father picking up his child and and showing him some of the the riches that he has for him. 
And this kindness, grace, and riches all come because we are in Christ Jesus. In Christ. We receive it because we are one with him. Remember, God raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Christ. He will show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so Christ will get the glory all the time and we will get to enjoy the immeasurable riches of his grace. Dane Ortland says in Gentle and Lowly, the book we've been following through this series as well, is that coming into God's presence on the new earth will be like walking through the wardrobe in Narnia to an amazing new world with breathtaking beauty, fellowship with others, freedom from sorrow, pain and suffering, and a clear face-to-face vision of Christ. He also writes, for those not in Christ, this life is the best it will ever get. For those in Christ, this life is the worst it will ever get. So that's what God's love will look like in the coming ages. But then come the questions. Will it really be that good? Will the reality outstrip the brochure about heaven? And I think this question may come to us because we've been disappointed so many times in life. What was promised is not delivered. Oh, it looks so great. This is going to be the greatest week of your life. This is going to be the most exhilarating time. This is going to be the most memorable week. And then we go and it's not that great. Or it's not as pretty as it was in the brochure. Or it's way more expensive than we thought. Or we got sick on the trip and we couldn't enjoy it. But when it comes to God, he's not in the business of overselling himself. There's nothing deceptive about him. The glimpses of heaven and himself that he gives to people in the Bible are so amazing and striking that the people can barely describe it. They struggle to find words to portray the majesty of God. God is unlike humans when it comes to keeping his word. He goes way beyond his word so many times in fulfilling his promises. He is the originator of creation and beauty. And life with him in renewed creation and the beautiful new Jerusalem will be worth far more than we can imagine. So it will be really good, far more than the best good we can imagine. And then there's my question from when I was a kid, won't it be boring? And if that is our question, I think there's two possibilities of what's happening. The first one is we have not spent much time pondering what scripture says about life with God in eternity. How many of you even thought about heaven this past week? You're just focused, most of us, just on our daily lives, right? So heaven, like, what does that have to do? Some sort of strange afterlife thing with maybe clouds? I can't imagine it being that great. So, so maybe that's one reason we have this vague understanding of what life with Christ will be like. So we think it's boring. But I think the other reason that we might think it's boring is because we might be experiencing a very blessed life right now and we don't even realize it. 
We've got all these blessings in our lives and we think that's the way it should always be. That's normal. We should always be having the good life or experiencing the good life. And if that's the case, if we're really blessed right now and we're really excited about our lives, we need to realize what a blessing that is from God. Think about the millions and millions of people in this world who are just barely making it might love a release from this life to go to be in eternity with God. Think of the the millions of refugees in Ukraine, the families that have been ripped apart, moms and kids have to leave dads behind who remain to fight. Or families in Ukraine who have lost a loved one who maybe is now buried in an unmarked grave somewhere from a missile strike. Two months ago, their life was going on, now their lives are turned upside. Do you think that they think or hope or wonder if heaven's boring? Think about people who, who live among us who have severe health issues, who live in deep pain every day, who have serious relationship problems, who live in dysfunctional families, who struggle with Alzheimer's. Life with God includes taking in his beautiful creation, total freedom from pain and sin, fellowship with others, living in a resurrection body, and looking forward to enjoying the immeasurable riches of his grace towards us in Christ Jesus. Yet if we're enjoying a pretty good life, we need to recognize God has abundantly blessed us. And instead of ignoring or downplaying the potential of life in God's presence, we need to use these blessings that God has lavished upon us for his glory and to prepare for that life that will come, that will blow away the most exciting life ever lived on earth. So no, it won't be boring. It's going to be infinitely better than the best life we can imagine. And then thirdly, and perhaps most seriously for some, whose lives are really hard and difficult and maybe hopeless right now, if life is so great there, why not go there now? And this is a serious and viable option that some consider when in depression or facing very tough life circumstances. Some of you with us today or watching online have had suicidal thoughts. Or you may live with someone or have a family member who struggles in this way. Why not go to heaven now? A few things to say. Randy Elkhorn in his book about heaven writes, as long as God keeps you here on earth, it's exactly where he wants you. He's preparing you for the coming ages and through your suffering, difficulty, and depression, he's expanding your capacity for eternal joy. And, and, that, and that's true. I mean, think about it in your own life. If you've gone through a season which has been really tough and you can kind of barely make it through each day and then you kind of get out of that season and you have ordinary days, you, you begin to appreciate ordinary days. Oh, what a blessing an ordinary day is. Huh, not like that. But 
I, I, I think that is kind of more the, the cerebral, the intellectual thing, which might not help the person who's having suicidal thoughts in the moment. So how can we address this? Well, I came across someone this week who I'd recommend. Her name is Christine Chappell. Uh, she's the author of a couple of works, Help, I've Been Diagnosed with a Mental Disorder, or Help, My Teen is Depressed. And I've got on the bulletin there a link to her podcast, Hope and Help, uh, for biblical counseling and discipleship she's connected to. And, and this is what she writes, and I think she's had suicidal thoughts. She certainly has had depression. She writes this, when the darkness of depression and despair is pressing, remember that you are a walking target of God's relentless mercy. Our Father has a special place in his heart for those vulnerable to fierce mental assaults. And she quotes Psalm 34, 18, which says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So when, when people are going through a really tough mental health situation, the Lord is close. The Lord is involved in saving work. She continues, while our desires to escape the pain can shame us into feeling worthless, his voice reminds us, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. Marvelous light. So it's like God is, is right there and he is reminding us who we are in him and that he has already entered into our lives and called us out of darkness into his marvelous light through salvation. That's already part of what he's doing. And then she goes on and says this, but more than arguing against the wretched extremes of suicides always and never, the tender mercy of God steps down into our pain, pursuing us in the shadows of death where we lie. So God like, becomes actively involved and commits to remain there as a light to guide our feet away from the snares. So, so God joins us in our pain. She goes on. It is a fierce, mysterious fight against unspoken thoughts and imaginings, but not one uncommon to man. So if you have suicidal thoughts or have struggled with them, you're not the only one. Many, many people have. She continues, while healing from these low seasons of darkness is no simplistic equation, the truths of God's character and our identity in Christ remain simple enough. From the foundation of the world, he has always loved us. And into eternity future, we will never be separated from him. These eternal extremes, she writes, won by Christ on the cross, act as our only shield against the wretched extremes that suicidal contemplations mutter. The always and never of suicide are no match for the always and ever of God's faithful love. On top of this, Alcorn says, if you're considering taking your own life, recognize this as the devil's temptation 
Jesus said Satan is a liar and he lies because he wants to destroy you. So don't listen to the liar. Listen to Jesus, the truth teller. And when he's done, he will take you home in his own time and his own way. And I encourage you, if uh, this is an area that you or your family are struggling with, check out the podcast, which is on the back of the bulletin there. There's also the helpline, the emergency helpline. That's a 24-7 line with people there with resources and trained people to hear. That's our Edmonton area helpline for people in a desperate situation. But in the bigger question, why not go there now? We must trust God's wisdom and love for where he has us now. And we continue to walk with him until he calls us home. So we've looked at what God's love will be like in the coming ages. He saved us. He raised us up with Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And we've looked at some of the questions that we may have about the next life. Will it be that good? Yes, way better. Will it be boring? No, way beyond what we can imagine. Why not go now? Because in God's wisdom, he has us here and now for his good purposes. And he is with us in the depths. Finally, what can we do today in response? And this answer surprised me when it came But it's scripture. And it goes like this. Since God will show his love for us in the coming ages, we must pray now for strength to grasp it, his love's, multiple dimensions. Seems like a a strange action to take in light of all of this. Yet I get this from Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, just a little further on, which says this. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, width, and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he prays that they may have strength to comprehend something and what is that something It's the four dimensions of Christ's love. Width and length and height and depth. So he prays that they might have strength to grasp or comprehend the multi-dimensional love of Christ. And his love is so vast and so varied that we need strength to even understand it. And to grasp it. But when we do, we then are filled with the fullness of God. And when we are full of God, we have strength and we have power for life. And he will keep us going until he returns or calls us home. So we need to pray this for ourselves and for one another. And think about how that can transform your prayers. Instead of praying, Lord, will you do this thing in this situation? And if you don't do this thing, I'm going to be disappointed. We instead pray, Lord, will you give me strength to comprehend the multidimensional love you have for me in this situation? 
And somehow that's going to fill us with God and empower us to go forward. And so I pray that this has not been a wasted exercise. Thinking about life to come. All that it means with Christ and how we can live today. And I pray that you will grasp the multi-dimensional love of Christ for you in whatever you're facing right now. And Lord Jesus, as finite creatures, how do we comprehend someone infinite like you? Immeasurable riches of your grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. A multi-dimensional love that goes to the furthest extremes. Forgive us for being so narrow in our focus on only this little area or that thing and forgetting about you and all that you are and have for us. I pray for courage for this group today. I pray for hope. I pray for faith to trust even when we can't see a purpose. I pray for your intervention for those who are really struggling in mental health areas. I pray that we as a body will continually remind one another and pray for one another about the multi-dimensional love that you have for us. And I pray that you will fill us with your fullness, O oh God. Amen.